Don't Talk to Me Unless It's About Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close by Jonathan Safran Foer. I'm here with Marie to talk about part two. We read from page 186 in the paperback, which uh, is the chapter Happiness, Happiness to the end. And when we left off, we had just read what we assumed was grandma's chapter. Um, I think potentially her first chapter. And she was talking about her life and her and grandpa's relationship and then him leaving. And so to start, I thought uh, soon, soon after, or actually the first chapter that this opens in, Marie, you had brought up how interesting it was that they covered the Hiroshima bombing. Um, and earlier they covered a story of the Dresden bombing. And you, you had wondered, you know, why did the author tie these into the story? And I know I, I first, when I first started reading the second section, I was like, wait, what's going on? Did we like switch topics? Um, mm-hmm. And it was a really powerful, uh, haunting chapter. What did you think of starting with that? Um, they kind of like reread this. They transcribed this interview of yeah. someone who experienced the Hiroshima bombing. Yeah. Yeah. And lost many relatives, right? In the same mm-hmm. way that um, Oscar's grandparents did. And now the same way that Oscar has lost his family member through this sort of war-related, I mean, 9-11 wasn't a war at the time, but now I think we think of it as a, it was an act of war. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so I, I guess in my mind, the author is sort of tying together these extreme acts of war and showing the... I don't know, the the fallout for, for people who were just living their day-to-day lives and had them completely upended and were never the same. And, but it, yeah, I mean, it's, in some ways, it's a hard book to read because of, I'm ne- I've never read an account of the, I, I, you know, I've seen film clips and things like that that are really hard to watch. But to read this account, it, it just is really visual, visceral experience. Um, and I felt that way about some of the ways that Oscar views images of 9-11 and, and, and even the like voicemails and, and really thinking about the, the true like experience of someone who's, whose loved one was in that situation. Obviously, 9-11 just happened um, recently. So, yeah, it's a, it's a really impactful for me, and so I, I assumed it was the author kind of like making a statement about that in some way or, or even just drawing threads through history of different times that people have had something similar happen. But yeah, I don't know. What did you, did you pick up on that? Was I just like trying to make something out of nothing? I don't know. Well, it's interesting because I had connected it to these other war stories he had told about Dresden, for example. Um, but I hadn't even made the connection to 9-11 because, you know, that wasn't a air raid or a bombing in the same sense. But I think you're right that it it's tying all three together. And I feel, you know, in this book, they don't really spare details. Um, you know, I think my understanding of an atomic bomb was just like all these people died instantly. And to hear that instead could be this really slow, horrific process. Um, they talked about people's, you know, skin melting and trying to find survivors. And um, it was just so graphic. Um, and I feel like the author did the same thing with accounts of 9-11 where Oscar is kind of imagining, you know, his even though he's young, he realizes like these people did not die instantly. Um, a lot of them were waiting or scared or just uh, just really puts in your face, you know, how horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah, the Hiroshima. I mean, I also think it's interesting that the author created a family in which the grandparents experience loss in this way as young people and are now experiencing the loss of their child as an adult from not the same thing, but a similar type of catastrophic act of war. 
And then in the middle of the book, they also have this account of the Hiroshima bombing. So it just um, stood out to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was also thinking, you know, this book was published in 2005, which means that I'm sure the author was writing it for at least two years before, Mm -hmm. um, if not more. And so, you know, I wonder what what do you think that experience was like of writing about 9-11 so recently after? And I, I also wonder, you know, did publishers kind of question this and say it's too soon? Uh, yeah, because that's, it seems like, oh, that's four whole years, but it still seems like right away mm-hmm. immediate. Yeah, I mean, I actually don't know. And sometimes I know you you listen to interviews with the author. I have not done any of that for this book. Um, so I don't know what his backstory is. Was he I reading the book, I would assume that he was in New York City when this happened or is a New Yorker or something where like I think this he is a is. processing this is a way for him to process what happened. Yeah, I think he is a New Yorker and he had already written one or two books. Uh, but I actually haven't listened to interviews about this this book yet. Mm-hmm. I would have thought you would have because you love it so much. But I kind of like that you haven't. You've loved, <laughs> well, because it, it's a favorite from your past. So maybe yeah. at that point in time. Yeah, there weren't as many like podcasts or opportunities to like kind of. Look you know, at I think I thing. have at certain points looked up interviews with this author. but. They were about more recent books of his. Um, and my two favorites are, I think it might have been even his first book and then this book. And, you know, those were probably like actual radio show interviews that aren't archived somewhere. <laughs> right. Pre-podcast. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's obviously, I mean, it's, it's a tough theme in a book. I, I will say the second part of the book was a faster read for me than the first part. And I'm not exactly sure what, that was but i think it was maybe getting more attached to oscar or the flow of the story but i do think it's also a yeah it's a confusing book and so i feel like it takes till the second half to feel like you even know what's going on that's true that's true and i think we can gotten through some of the heaviest um commentary about Dresden and 9-11 and things like that so because that's that's really hard it's for me I was like at the end of the day if I'm gonna pick up a book to read am I gonna want to read the the tale of someone who survived this bombing I mean it's not it's I I've enjoyed the book but there were times when I was like okay I have to be mentally prepared to be reading about heavy heavy things yeah Mm-hmm. Which isn't surprising that this was a favorite of yours, given how much you love sad what things. We, what we know. <laughs> I, and I think what makes this different is that it's written from the child's perspective, um, mm-hmm. that Oscar brings in this humor um, that if it was written from an adult's perspective, probably wouldn't be there. Um, like even just at the end of this uh, the scene where they're talking about the Hiroshima bombing, you know, it's this long couple pages. Um and then at the end, it says, that was Wednesday. <laughs> I spent Thursday afternoon, blah, 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 you know, just kind of. <laughs> well, yeah, because he does it as a report at school, right? Yeah, he, it's yeah his he plays it first. Choice, his choice of, of a book report or a, some, some history, yeah. you know, activity and everyone else in the class is sort of like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. He, he brought the darkness. He did. Yeah. Okay, so then I wanted to talk about when Oscar goes to therapy. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he brings it up in a very Oscar way where you learn that he's only going because he's getting a raise in his allowance. And he has this really thoughtful idea of, you know, I didn't understand why I needed help because it seems to me that you should wear heavy boots when your dad dies. And if you aren't wearing heavy boots, then you need help. And this made me think, Whenever I worry about something really bad happening, like losing someone really close to me, I think, you know, oh, gosh, I'm going to have to go get, like, the most intense therapy you can get so that I can, like, get past it. And 
that's probably a problematic idea that I have, that that's even mm. possible or something that you should do. And, you know, here's this wise little kid thinking that. What did you think of that idea? Yeah, I I also appreciated Oscar's perspective on this because it's clear he feels like his mix of motion of emotions is and the therapist keeps trying to pathologize him and identify oh asking him questions to identify if he's going through puberty like what hormones hormonal changes might be happening that could be causing him to be behaving this way and and it was frustrating for me as the reader to witness the scene with the therapist because, yeah, the child in this scenario was the one that was in the right to me. Um, and, mm. and I do, I don't, it's not necessarily that I think it was a bad idea that his mom had to like go to a therapist and like process some of his feelings and have support with that. But for the therapist to be like trying to find something wrong with him. And the reality is you just had, he's going through a tough time. Like this is really catastrophic, like world changing event that he also lost his father. Of course, he's going to have, you know, his heavy boots on. Um, Yeah, that's how I felt. And I think the mom was that way too. Right? Uh, And yeah, she does seem to feel like, it seems like she may be kind of suppressing some of her grieving and Oscar I think even at one point later points it out to her like I don't see you cry and she's trying to be so strong for him and wanting him to be better and you know in the end maybe she could have just let it all out in front of him and let him be struggling however he is yeah yeah I think that's actually in the end scene of the book that yeah they have a really nice yeah uh, a really nice kind of reunion of of mom and Oscar mm-hmm. Yeah. I also really just, I love Oscar so much. I relate to him so deeply. (laughs) I love when he's talking to the therapist and they're talking about this idea of like, is it possible to feel too much or are you just feeling the wrong things? And then, you know, Oscar's like, but it's, it's worse for me. Um, And the therapist is like, I wonder if everyone thinks it's worse for him. And Oscar says, probably, but it really is worse for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So cute. He's a sweetheart. He's a, it's a sweet, sweet character. Yeah. Well, and then we get to another letter from Grandpa to Dad. And this is the, I think it's the only one that's marked up in red, like someone was correcting it. And I love the way that there's just so many things throughout this book that are like unconventional in the printing. Um, and what what did you make of those red marks? Do you think they were supposed to mean something specific in that letter? Who do you think was making them? This to me, yeah. What? There are so many moments in this book, and I don't know that I felt this way about many other books I've read. I guess Piranesi, maybe I felt this way too. But certain things happen, and it's just like you never find out why. You ne- we're, yeah. we don't you don't get to know, and so. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. I I suspect when I tried to put the pieces together, figure out who it was, I'm thinking it was Oscar's father. You know, obviously he went looking for his his dad uh, because his dad had left them. Although the things that he circled are like super bizarre because a lot of it for me, it's like he circled commas. Well, the dad would always edit the newspaper. That was one of his things. Is he? I think it seems like someone was editing it, not like, oh, this was important. Mm-hmm. But these were mistakes. Mm-hmm. Did I totally agree that this is a book where you do not find things out? And I can tell you, after having read it five times, you still don't <laughs> find it out. Because even now, I'm wondering, do we know that the dad even read these letters, or did they always stay in grandma's care? I guess, I guess we never, you never know because the dad is dead. Yeah. We don't. So we never get to see the yeah. only way that we get to witness that character is through the memories of the like child, basically. Um, a little bit, I guess, from the grandmother who 
because it was her son, but not much. So it it is, I mean, a kind of brilliant way of writing the story because it's almost like solving the mystery of who this person was and like what they left behind. And yeah. so this letter indicates through context clues, like, oh, he used to edit the newspaper. I didn't even put that together until you just said that. It was clear that he saw this letter and read it and like edited it. Yeah, maybe this is our proof that dad read them. Because I think the only, we don't even know about how they were sent, but we just, we know that all of a sudden Oscar, I believe, finds, you know, this stack of letters in a dresser at grandma's apartment. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah, the whole story is, I feel like in like both a micro and a macro way is like this unsolved treasure hunt where, you know, Oscar goes on this treasure hunt and he's, he's in this place of after his dad's death, trying to make meaning out of everything when really not all of it has meaning, but some of it does. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it's, I feel like it really encapsulates that like confusion of life and grief that you Mm -hmm. don't know what to give meaning to and what not to. Uh, that's so beautifully said. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I mean, we didn't even, I don't think we even planned necessarily, I guess we, the key mystery. Um, it's funny because I remember in the first, when we talked about the first half of the book being like, what is this key for? You know, and I'm knowing kind of that the child is giving this key like way too much meaning, right? Like there's no way it means as much as he thinks it means. And and then I I read the second half of the book super fast. So I've been done with it for a while. I mean, maybe a month, six weeks. And as I was thinking about talking to you about it today, I had this moment where I was like, I don't even remember what... (laughs) the story the end of the story of the key was and i could have looked it up but i was like i'm gonna ask caitlin if she remembers too because i think that's a funny thing about the book where it's like there is this central driving mystery that clearly doesn't mean anything but is driving the story for a long time and then at the end of it when i think back on the book i literally can't remember what happened (laughs) it was resolved so that's funny right yeah yeah there's and it's so well, when we started rereading it, I I couldn't remember what happened. I couldn't remember if they even found the key or not, or if it was a dead end. And it ends up being that I think the first woman he visited, it was her husband's or like ex-husband. They were kind of in the middle of fighting. Um, her husband had an estate sale uh, for his his father. And it was in, you know, Oscar's dad bought this vase. And the key was in the vase. And then later, the guy who sold the vase realized that was like a security box key. And that was the only one. And he had to get it back, which is really, if you think about that happening to you, like an impossible problem to solve. Yeah. Um, And so it, you know, it was it's interesting because that does seem to be this like central thing pulling you through the book is this key search. And in the end, it has an answer, but it doesn't really mean anything. Um but it doesn't leave me dissatisfied as a reader. Like it, it almost kind of makes sense. Uh, and it gave Oscar something to do. Yeah. 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 I, I didn't look back on it and think like, oh, that was stupid that that was part of the story and it was superfluous and you, we didn't need it. Cause you're right. I mean, it, it's sort of a metaphor and it was, a way that he was expressing his grief and desire to know his father mm-hmm. um, and did did you see the i did remember the fact that mom somehow knows about the search and all along has been you know kind of calling these people ahead of time and telling them he's coming and okay with the fact that he's leaving but i didn't see it coming at all um did you see that no well, what yeah. mom do? Yeah, because that that woman who had the key, um, she called Oscar's house after he left the first time and ended up talking to Oscar's mom. That's right. That's right. That's yeah. Because right. the grandfather also was following uh, Oscar yes. around the city. Mm-hmm. Right? It was the grandfather was following yeah. him around 
before they had interacted at all and just trying to like knocking on the doors after Homestar did and saying like, what did my grandson just talk to you about? I mean, I just imagine being one of those people. Like, what if Sunny? Yes. Have? Yeah. And, and grandpa and mom seemingly don't know the other exists. Yeah. Yeah. So they're all entangled in it. And so, yeah. And it's maybe a touch point for all of them. Well, and then we get to that point where the old man in his building, Mr. Black, who ends up going around with Oscar for a while. Um, I think after that Empire State Building visit, he tells Oscar, you know, I can't keep doing this search with you. I'm done. Um, and then later we find out at that same moment he confronted Grandpa and he said, you know, hey, I, I've seen you following us. Like, get out of here. And I think that Grandpa said, I'm his grandfather. And that's what somehow precipitated seemingly Mr. Black saying I'm out of this. But I couldn't really... You know, I thought, why? Like, why did that make him stop? Do you think that was what made him stop? And why would that be? That's a good question, because I also didn't put those pieces together, which is so funny. I mean, I just think there's so many threads in this book that you could. There are. And trying to connect them all. Because when I was thinking back on the story of why Mr. Black had stopped doing it. So they find out he he dies not that long after this right there's there's an yeah that's right like going to his apartment and he's not there anymore and um so there was a part of me that thought oh maybe he's he's taken a turn and can tell that he like won't be here anymore and he wants that he doesn't want it to be that he dies and that's how oscar finds out you know Mm -hmm. like he doesn't show up for him anymore and so i wondered if it was him trying to spare oscar that Pete's who knows um and then he also had that that experience with the person in the Empire State Building Mm -hmm. another total side quest (laughs) that in some ways has nothing to do with any other elements of the story but this woman that claims she lives in the Empire State Building all the time and is able to evade the security there and has lived there since her husband, years right yeah yeah and mr black is sort of trying to like tape this person it seems and yeah it seems like all, all of those things were happening at the same time and so i couldn't figure out yeah and i didn't put the pieces together with the grandfather but maybe there is an element of him feeling like i'm gonna say that so that oscar's grandfather can connect with him on this mm-hmm. Yeah, I wondered if it was about the woman in the Empire State Building, too. And I don't know if Oscar had even said anything to him about his grandfather for Mr. Black to know, like, oh, this is actually an estranged missing grandfather. Uh, But again, I think it's just one of those things that we don't really know why he made that choice. And that's we're not supposed to, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It it added to the list of mysteries that are yeah. end up in this book. It's sort of like that show Lost. I don't know if you watched that. Oh my God. Yeah. I was so into Lost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they dealt both the loop on so many things. It's triggering for me. Like, <laughs> I didn't, didn't feel that way. I, I felt complete when I finished it. But at the same time, now that we're talking through it, I'm like, uh, what happened? But many mysteries, many mysteries still unsolved here. Well, to me, the biggest mystery, the hardest thing for me to understand was grandma and grandpa's relationship. Mm-hmm. I feel like the whole time I was trying to understand what they felt for each other. Did they love each other? Were they purposely being hurtful or were they just so damaged that they couldn't do any better? I really could not figure them out. What did what did you think about them as we learned more about how he ends up coming back and the things that they do and don't forgive each other for? And yeah. Oh, I mean, it's so tragic because it is. I think there's a line that I had wrote, written down that was actually from that letter yeah. that the grandpa wrote to the dad. But I think this comes up again when he's in conversation with the grandmother. But he says, I'm so afraid of losing something. I love 
<clears throat> that I refuse to love anything in that letter. And then I think that comes up again. When, when he and Oscar are at the graveside and he's dumping the letters into the, into the grave that mm-hmm. he's written and Oscar's asking him like what they are. And he's like, oh, these are letters for my son. And, um, trying to explain to Oscar that that story and I think he says something similar then where he said you know I was afraid of like not that my son would die but like of his life it was like Mm. scary and vulnerable to to be near him because I was afraid for him all the time or something like that so I wondered if that explains a little bit of his wanting to connect with the grandmother but like being so afraid because they i mean they lost everyone and and he also lost his you know whatever true love quote unquote who knows the sister Mm -hmm. he was pregnant with his child which was another bombshell that was revealed um and so yeah i i mean i can't even imagine i've never had anything of that level of tragedy happened in my life but like the way that that could make you so fearful of caring deeply for mm-hmm. others yeah i don't know that's the only answer i have for that well and then we also find out that the dad at some point meets the grandfather mm-hmm. and doesn't but they don't talk about the fact that that's what's happening you know when they meet each other it's not like i'm your son i'm your dad Mm-hmm. what did that make you think the fact that they met but didn't like cross the that bridge of like hey this is how we know each other there's just so many things left unsaid between yeah. all of these family members and and i think the mom and oscar are tra- are moving forward moving away from that family history of connecting i Mm. think at the end of the book we find them in a place where they're finally sharing with each other in a real way um you know another like huge moment when the mom shares with oscar that his dad called her on her cell phone that day Mm -hmm. and he lied and said that he was on the sidewalk walking away from the building and oscar says did you know that he was lying and she said, yeah. And he said, did he know that you knew he was lying? And she says, yeah. And so even that, I mean, it's very similar with the grandma. And yeah. It's like this family legacy of uh, lack of transparency. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, the, the, the mom and the son are kind of breaking the cycle of this, I think, somehow. Yeah, they are. I was not expecting based on the way the rest of the story was going the the way mom and oscar would connect at the end and i love that they did mm-hmm. and and i especially to me the you know the whole book is so heavy but the only part i cried in at least this time was the very end mm-hmm. when first grandma does this chapter where she's like going in reverse of what if you couldn't do all these things and it's very poetic and and then when Oscar starts doing the same thing and just starts mm-hmm. rewinding, what if dad was here? All these things, you know, we would we would be safe, I think, is yeah. how it ends. I think that's the last line of the book, right? Yeah, we would have been safe. Oh, yeah. 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 And that was, yeah, just like the perfect ending to me. Yeah. There's a moment right before that, actually, where I'm curious to hear what you think about this, but it, it's in the part of the story where the grandfather and the and Oscar are at the grave of his dad and they're, you know, digging up the coffin, whatever. And, and he's describing the moment when he says, you know, the renter opens up these suitcases filled with papers. And he's saying, I lost a son and telling, telling Oscar, you know, um, life is scarier than death. 
And this is why I was afraid, went, left my son. And um, there's this line where uh, the grandfather says to Oscar, things I, you know, what's all the paper? Things I wasn't able to tell him, letters. And then the line is, to be honest, I don't know what I understood then. I don't think I figured out that he was my grandfather, not even in the deepest in the deep parts of my brain, I definitely didn't make the connection between the letters in his suitcases and the envelopes in grandma's dresser, even if I should have. But I must have understood something. I must have, because why else would I have opened my left hand? And I read that, I reread that while I was like getting ready for this call. And I was like, is this the first moment that we're getting Oscar in the future writing like as if he's wrong? I think so. It? versus in the moment experiencing it it seems like it and then it does beg the question is the whole story written in hindsight and this is just the only time he admits it or is it not up until this moment that it's written in hindsight and it i also forgot how small and subtle the way that all these realizations happen is like there isn't this there isn't a lot of hubbub about the fact that, oh, my gosh, and I realized this is my grandpa. And then I asked him all these questions. And I talked to grandma and then I realized mom knew about the key search. And we mm-hmm. did this. It's just like in these very subtle little like one or two sentences. Those are like huge bombs <laughs> <laughs> that are dropped. <laughs> yeah, it's it was super subtle. That distinction. It just like the the voice, the timeline, everything shifts. And f- then you start questioning like the way you read the entire book I, mm-hmm. I mean yeah again add it to the list of mysteries yeah and I, I feel like this story is also just about how quirky we can all be and you know there's this woman who lives on top of the empire state building there's this man who doesn't speak and has words tattoos on his hand tattooed on his hands and this boy who meets this random old man and then well twice meets a random old man and starts doing adventures with him and Mm -hmm. digs up a grave and fills it with some random letters but it's like it almost i don't know if it's supposed to make it all like this stuff isn't that weird like this is just life this is just how people are yeah 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 um for sure um, did you have, I actually realized you didn't share what your feelings about the grandparents relationship was. What, what's your takeaway? I was quite tormented by grandma and grandpa's relationship and I really couldn't figure it out. I think the only explanation I'd come up with would be that he was so hurt in his childhood that he couldn't engage fully in life. I think grandma was more open to engaging with people and love. Um, so I felt more sorry for her mm-hmm. um, than for him in a way. Um, but I feel like there are so many contradictory things that they each said and did that, you know, I could hear any explanation of the two of them and probably be convinced of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. Anything else? I guess we can talk about the ending, which I mean, we've kind of touched on already, which is the sort of revelation that the mom had received a call from the dad um, and she shared that with Oscar and they have this bonding moment where she she cries in front of him. And uh, the last. Yeah, the last words of the book being uh, we would have been safe. Um, and 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 Oscar sort of running mm-hmm. back the the day and saying, "Well, if we hadn't done this and we hadn't done that, if he went, if he went back through the turnstile of the metro, if he came home, if he told me this story about the sixth borough in, in reverse, which is this, like fantastic sweet story that he shared with Oscar." And um, yeah, and then and then the last part of the book are images that they talk about Oscar had clipped from the internet of people falling out of or dumping out of the, the building on 9-11 um, to escape the fire. And those are the last images of the book is this, these images. Right. But backwards, because he makes it like a flip book and the person's going up instead of down. 
Yeah. 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 Haunting. Yeah. Truly. Yeah. Yeah. I just kind of cried my eyes out for that last chapter. Yeah. Well, we could talk about some of our our fave things. And I know we had some similar favorite lines and quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole Six Burrows story was just incredible to me. I I so envy people who can just come up with these stories on their own. You know, I remember growing up, my Uncle Peter would tell these incredible stories that I think he just made up off the top of his head, you know, as we were all falling asleep. And hearing this Six Burrows story inspires me to try to come up with really good stories to tell Ada or something, but I don't know how to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What were some of your favorite lines or parts? I think, well, I think we both, yeah. The the Oscar is just general personality. <laughs> yeah. The way they just, the author describes his brain working and there's this one line that I remember of him talking about you know if he needs to kill time or if he's anxious and he's trying to fall asleep he starts you know quote inventing like a beaver all sorts of like inventions and you know one of the examples that i think of is like a stamp that tastes like creme brulee when you lick it you know and he's (laughs) iterating from there just like more fantastical like willy wonka type stuff um which is just so sweet and so childlike and so perfect and Mm -hmm. uh yeah, I think we both had quotes from the grandma's chapter, just like underlined so many things, just so yeah, many heartbreaking lines. I don't know. You you have some written down, right? I do. I let's see. Actually, I yeah, grandma's chapters were just so poetic. Um, I don't know if I actually have a chapter or a quote written down from her chapter, but two of the quotes, um one, and I think this was from the uh Empire State Building chapter. And Oscar says, I looked at everyone and I wondered where they came from and who they missed and what they were sorry for. And, you know, this kid just wants to get to the core of people. Uh, imagine if you asked people those questions when you met them, what you would learn about them. Yeah. And then there's another one when, let's see. Oh, this is when they're talking to the woman who lives up there. Uh, Oh, and she says, you know, I know about this building because I love this building. That gave me heavy boots because it reminded me of the lock that I still hadn't found and how until I found it, I didn't love dad enough. What is it about this building? Mr. Black asked. She said, if I had an answer, it wouldn't really be love, would it? And wow, I was just so struck by that. Most of the the things you love doing or the people you love, you can try to kind of put it into words, but you also really can't yeah 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 there's so many profound lines throughout the book uh i had both of those underlined too which i i think yeah i love that we both loved those lines yes i know uh and then the other, another favorite moment for me was when oscar ran over to his apartment when he first meets the renter in his grandmother's apartment who he doesn't realize is his grandfather and he all of a sudden decides to like run back over to his house and get the answering machine with his dad's voice on it and play it for this renter and Mm -hmm. it's it's his grandfather hearing his son's voice for the first time and there's so many layers of just intensity and that whole scene it just was uh, I don't know, really compelling to read. Yes. And the way, I think if I remember correctly, the way those chapters were presented is we both got Oscar talking about meeting the renter uh, and like describing his perspective and then the renter talking about meeting Oscar. And yeah, like you said, it's, you know, how did this grandpa sit there and listen to that and kind of keep a straight face? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not, yeah, reveal anything. It's yeah. Pretty unbelievable. Uh, yeah. So those are some of my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. I just love this story. I wish I could get another book from Oscar's perspective or yeah. something about Oscar's life. Yeah. Yeah. He is a great character. Like, what's he doing now? 
I've all grown up now. I don't know. <laughs> work like this. I, I do too. <laughs> do you have any uh, recent uh, obsessions in another book, podcast, music, other areas of your life to share? Yeah, I have um, a book that I read that I loved and I was kind of in a weird place emotionally and my uh, roommate handed me this book and said, Get this, you should read this. It's just a delight. And it took me a while to get it. I was already reading something. Who knows? You know, it was just to put it on the back burner and put it on the book stack. And then uh, I read it recently. It's called A Psalm for the Wild Built uh, by Becky Chambers. And it is one of the sweetest, most hopeful, optimistic books I've ever read. To not give too much away, it's a story of sort of a dystopian future, but not an maybe dystopian mean something that I, I don't think I mean. Post-apocalyptic future uh, mm. in which uh, we've all kind of returned to living, humans have returned to living a more uh, simple life. Uh, Nature has been given like more of the world to run free and humans are like confined to like smaller areas and have simpler ways of, of, of being the world. And so the, the character that you're following is a tea monk and uh, they go on an adventure uh, to sort of find themselves and along the way meet a robot and, and humans have I've allowed robots to go from working in factories to living whatever life they want. And so the two of them meet. And it's just, it's a story that I really can't describe because it would, it would ruin it. But it, it's, it's, a, it's simple. It's short. It's just the most hopeful, sweet, sweet thing. So I recommend it. Okay. I am trying to look through my borrowing history at the library because I swear I started this book. <laughs> recently and i was like i'm so quick to stop books so i think i stopped but now it's funny because it's not showing up in my history but i'm like nearly positive i started this book um so now yeah i want to go give it a a second chance um it's a slower moving storyline and so it did take me a minute to get into it too but because she had recommended it so highly i i kept going and i think the there's for me there was a really sweet payoff uh yeah recommend and the last time we talked i shared how obsessed i was with listening to uh, let's see, Ann Patchett's book, The The Dutch House. Yes, with Tom Hanks. Yes, with Tom Hanks narrating. And <laughs> so then I was like, okay, I'm going to go back and read all of Ann Patchett's books. So I read, I believe it was her first novel called The Patron Saint of Liars. And it's about this young girl who's pregnant and goes to a, it's like, I think it's said maybe like the 60s, uh, you know, goes to like, a place run by nuns for pregnant girls to give birth and give the babies away and all that ensues from there. Um, and it was, it was really good. I really liked it. And it's so interesting. All of Ann Patchett's books, I feel like revolve around these questions about motherhood. Uh, somehow it's just like this deep theme. Um, and then after that, I read this book called I Could Live Here Forever by Hannah Halperin. And it was a story about this woman getting her MFA. She's in her maybe kind of mid or yeah, mid early 20s. And she's getting her MFA. And then she falls in love with this guy who's a like a heroin or a fentanyl addict, like addicted to like serious drugs. And all that ensues from there. And it was at first, I was obsessed with it, and then I was so pained by it because I was like, oh, my God, why is this girl in this situation? Like, why why can't she see it? And um, it's definitely the kind of story that has a, like, not happy ending. Like, in the end, I almost like the character was worse off than it started. Um, and you're kind of like, man, what was the point of that? But I'm sure yeah. there is a point to it, and I appreciate an author 
you know, confronting you with that possibility that in someone might have a really shitty three years or something or 10 years or uh, they might not learn their lesson. And it was it was the kind of book that even though I was so pained by it, like I wanted so badly to talk about it. And so like the morning after I finished it, I was so happy I found this podcast that was like a 90 minute, you know, four person book club discussion <laughs> of the story. And the the most interesting part to me was that uh, in the podcast, they talked about like, who would you cast as the, you know, actor, actresses? Um, funny, I think someone said like, I would cast Hillary Duff as the girl. And in my mind, I was like, Hillary Duff is probably like 40 now. <laughs> she is. She's in her 40s for sure. I don't think we're like, this character is like 24. But then they all agreed. They were like, the guy, the addict is Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> Who is actually like 25, I think. And as soon as they said that, I was like, oh my God, now I see why she was in love with him. It makes so much more sense now. <laughs> once, they, once they picked who would be cast in a film, you're like, okay, yes, this is working for me. Yeah. Because the way she described this guy was like always kind of grungy and dirty. And so you were just like, what is the appeal here? But then I'm like, okay. I'm picturing Timothy Chalamet coming together. Working. <laughs> uh, I had a similar, this is this is a true guilty pleasure moment, but I'm bringing it up for a couple of reasons. Um, <clears throat> I somehow, I think through advertising, decided to watch the show The Summer I Turned Pretty. And it's a book series actually originally by Jenny Hahn. And the show is also written by Jenny Hahn, which is pretty rare that they allow the author of the books to then write the show. Yeah. Uh, but she, I think I've read a couple of interviews with her actually since um, this is how deep I've gone on the show. I don't do that very often. I don't. Great. It's great. It's disturbing. It's disturbing. I feel unwell. It's a show. <laughs> okay. Um, but it was sort of perfect timing. It was like the month of August. It's a show that takes place in like a couple of subsequent summers these two families like these two women who are best friends in college vacation with their kids in this same beach house every summer that is the problem mm. then it goes on to have a love triangle between the daughter of the one friend and the two sons of the other friend which is uh, a, yeah. a completely absurd plot okay <laughs> it's absurd um and uh, I won't say anything else because it'll give some other plot elements away. The thing that's really lovely about it that I like is it is a teen show, which can be fun to watch as an adult, but it actually showcases a lot of the the friendship between the older women and the mom mm. um, in a way that was so refreshing and cool. Like they were sort of parallel alongside their kids going out to parties. They get, they take weed gummies and like, stumble into a bar together without their wallets and have this like totally hilarious like night out like there there are these moments where the kids and the adults are having sort of parallel experiences but the kids it's new and the adults it's, it's the way they used to be when they were younger um, mm -hmm. and so there's something there's something there that that like really was appealing the other fact other reason i'm bringing it up the soundtrack is basically taylor swift on like i've heard that this show is super swifty yeah, it, it is. I'm not kidding when I say that I got my best friend Dana to to watch the show, and she also liked it. So I felt a little bit less crazy. But she, um, after watching the show, we were like, we need to get tour tickets for Taylor Swift. <laughs> so funny because it was a combination of like the show plus seeing everyone on the planet that I know like posting on Instagram that they've been at the show, and it looks so fun. <laughs> um, Anyway, just thought I'd share that with you. Yes. I was watching it. I have not, but I have heard about it from so many people because of that. It's always the place that like all these Taylor Swift from the vault songs mm -hmm. have been released purely on this show's soundtrack. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, is this woman just a true Swifty who produces it? Is she someone is. friends with Taylor Swift? Is Taylor Swift secretly kind of producing this show too? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. there are all these... I love all the fan theories about Tay, obviously. And there are so many funny ones. Like, have you heard of the author Taylor Jenkins Reid? Oh, I recently saw this on the internet. Yes, they're claiming that somebody thinks it's Taylor, Taylor Swift. Swift. 
Yes. Um, yeah. My friend was describing to me that apparently her book, The Seven Lives of Evelyn Hugo, is like super swift coded. And so people thought that this author was Taylor Swift. But then when my friend said the, the author's name, I was like, no, that's a real person. Like, that's an author who has written a ton of books. And like, I have seen photographs of her. I don't think that she's like just a front for Taylor Swift, but but also it's possible. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. I want them to interview the two Taylors together about about this, this uh conspiracy theory. Yes. Daniel uh, <laughs> I think it well, I know it's also a legitimate human being who who wrote these books quite a while ago. And uh, just to put it out there, I there's two seasons of the show, there's three books. When I finished season two of the show, I was like, I need to know what happened. And so I read all three of the books in one week, which is crazy. That's how short they are. Not not me yeah. being super fast. It's they're super short and they're really sorry. They're not good. Um, the show is much better and mm. was I think the books were written quite a while ago. And the reason I scene which i find super fascinating that they greenlit the author to be the writer of the screenplay for the show she was so willing to change things about the storyline and modernize it uh, and so it does feel there's something about it that feels like the teen shows that were out when i was younger versus like you euphoria or something like that now so there's mm -hmm. a sense of naivete to the kids in the show but um at the same time, it does feel modern, too. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, that is my. I'm really, I've really gone. This is, this is great, um, great recommendation. Yeah. So <laughs> I can't <laughs> wait for you to to watch and talk about it. I didn't know that it was also about parents. Uh, that's really interesting. I thought it was just like a teen story, which also I love. Uh, yeah. Just a good old teen love story. Yeah. No shame. No shame there. Uh, it, it, season one follows the, the mother's, uh, relationship season two, a little bit as well, but I, for reasons I will not share, uh, is less about the, the moms, mm -hmm. um, but still about them, the mother relationship with the children. And I, I think I have a friend, she's watching it, who was like, you know, I'm most interested actually in the way that these people are parents, which is mm -hmm. a really, it's really cool to watch. It seems like positive parenting role modeling so yeah it's all good love it whatever your reason is <laughs> <laughs>